<laughs> I'm not kidding though. I feel I feel something big's gonna happen. Windfalls. We need we well, need windfalls. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm here. It's there you the go. That's true. <laughs> it happened to be All right. You made it. Count it in. You count it. Uh, You're the counter. All right. Three, two, one. In a world where writers, directors, producers, and actors are all fighting to get their films made, comes a podcast that gets into it like no other podcast has ever gotten into it before. So, this summer, hang on to your laptops, because this time, there's no rewrite. Starring Mark Ice Roberts, Rod Tuddy Rinks, and on the ones and twos, Justin Wings Nichols. Let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Let's Get Into It. We're going to get into it today, Robert. You know, every time we say that every time, dude, are we going to really get into well, we it today? Do, we do. We get into it before and after and sometimes during the show. I feel I feel like um, this show, uh, this podcast has taken on like a really weird life because Oh yeah. We you know what? Because we've been talking about your movie, 10,000 hour movie, which I didn't think it was possible anymore. Yeah. Uh, and you're doing it, and you're almost done with it. Yeah. And we've been talking about the executive producers. We've been talking about some of the actors. We've been talking about people in it. And people are getting sort of upset. There's been some. Yeah, there's been some people they're, confronting yeah. other people. Yeah. Uh, you know, on outside of this podcast, going like, "Hey, man, how come you're telling people about that?" Thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, you've caused some. Some shit. I've caused some shit. And I, I've been approached and called. Hey, what the fuck? Right. That's hilarious. <laughs> but it's all good. They, it was all in good. Fun. It's all going to end uh, well because the project's done and you're going to yeah. cut it. But um, let's. I, I want. I, I want to get to our guest today because um, he sort of encapsulates what the show's about. Like what? What? This is a show about independent film, about achieving something in a business where you you're pa- that you're passionate about, and. Um, and a lot of people listening just love to hear about how other people get it done against the odds. Yeah, and let me tell you something about this guy. This guy, I totally contribute to my success at this point in my life. I'll tell you why. He has contributed to your success. That's that that too. But he um he told me he was going to put me in a movie and a lot of people in LA tell you that, but they never do. Mm-hmm. And he actually did. And he gave me a shot and I gave it my all and it it boosted my confidence. It put me where I knew I could go and on a trajectory to do even the $10,000 movie. So I owe him a lot. Mm. He really like stepped up for me and uh, I can't thank him enough. Well, introduce him then. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Joe Barbera, a.k.a. Danny A. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Danny. Hello. Hey, man. I, wanna, I just want to say I did watch two of your movies. Uh, uh, I, movies that I directed or acted in. I think produced. I think you produced and you acted. I'm not sure. You tell me. I watched um, uh, Stand Up Guy. Acted. You acted. And I produced. And did you write it? No. No. Mike and Young I, wrote it. And I saw Davi. Uh, um, Davi's, Davi's Way. Yeah. I was very impressed. Thank um, you. I I want to get into a conversation about how you got started in film, but first. I want to let people know you were an entrepreneur in New York. You 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 grew up in in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn, yeah. I, well, I was born in Israel. Uh, and age nine, I moved to uh, New York to Brooklyn. And with my you parents. and at a very young age, you got you became an entrepreneur and you got into clubs, yeah, restaurants. Was, yeah. So I mean, before that, I I used to sell sneakers. 
for three dollars an hour. Nice. Uh, f- up until age twenty twenty one, moved to Miami for a little bit, and um, by twenty three twenty four, I started getting into the nightlife just as a promoter. I didn't even know what it was about, but I got into it, and um, and then it, it it became a real business. Yeah. Uh, to me, it was just just to have some fun and make a little bit of money. And you were successful. And made plenty of dough and did extremely well. And you weren't connected to the entertainment business as mo- in terms of movies and stuff like that at this no, point. No, but I met a lot of people in the movie. You know, as a kid, I used to go on auditions and do like a music video or plays in school. You know, I always was um, active in like the acting thing. But then I stopped at like age 17, 18. I just think. went into business. But at what point did you decide, you know what, I'm going to make this movie. I'm going to take a break. One day I was in Malibu at a friend's house and I couldn't sleep. And I'm just like sitting there and I'm, and this is at the, the height of my success in nightlife. You how did that? you get, I'm sorry. How did you get from New York to Malibu? How'd that happen? No, it's just a friend of you're mine. You're just visiting. Yeah. I'm just okay, visiting, visiting a friend. Okay. I'm staying at his house and in the ocean, it's like three o'clock in the morning. And I grew up on the ocean as a kid from age zero to nine. And I was just sitting there and I'm just thinking about my life. And I'm like, man, I, I want to do something else. You know, like, I get on the phone with a friend of mine who I can't say his name. He's in Europe at the time. And I start talking to him. And I'm like, man, I just want to go and do something else. I want to do a movie. And he's like, go do it. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, it's so hard to raise money. And he said, look, go and do it. You do it and I will help you. You know, you have to put yourself out there uh, and I will help you. And that's like, you know, like Tootie said in the introduction, that kind of gave me kind of like encouraging words, right? Because, I, you know, you hear a guy at that status say to you, don't worry about it. Just go and do it. And you got friends that love you. You just go and try to make this happen. And it's going to be fine. Which gave me the indication that, you know, if a push comes to shove, he's going to step up and, you know. So, long story short, six months later, I'm watching a TV show on the Discovery Channel called uh, Interpol Fight on Drugs. And... uh and there's a, a segment about uh, Interpol, like, you know, catching all these drug smugglers, one of them uh, being uh, Hasidic Jews. So I, I look it up on the internet and I find this article called Holy Rollers, a, a New York Times article, and uh, I bought the rights to it. In the meantime, once I got that, I went and I, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to start by doing a short. So I co-wrote a short, I starred in it, it was such a fun thing to do. I got a bunch of my friends to do it with me, Lucas Haas and Sarah Foster, and we just had fun with it. And then I got the bug. I was like, I got to make a real <laughs> movie, right? So now I'm trying to get... So the friend on the phone was able to get me through his production company, uh, a writer that he paid for. I found the writer. They financed the script. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wrote Holy Rollers. Two years. Then we went out to try to get it. I casted Jesse Eisenberg. Now I'm starting to like take little roles in movies. You know, one day on this set, one day on this, just to learn, to get to know people, uh, see what it's all about. And um, I got Jesse Eisenberg to star in it. It took me five and a half years to raise all the money. Wow. A million dollars. And, uh, but I did it. And then... Um, how, did, sh- how much did you raise, like, for instance, how much in the first year of that five years, how much money did you put together? Nothing. So none of, so it took I mean I I thought I was going to go the traditional way and yeah. go with my script to Los Angeles and start taking meetings and being like hey this is great 
And and <laughs> my first meeting, the guy's like, hey, what, ecstasy uh, smuggling, that sounds great. But, you know, instead of Hasidic Jews, why don't you, you know, a good-looking surfer from Malibu? I'm like, what? <laughs> the movie's not even about smuggling. It's about faith, and it's about faith against blind faith. Give me back my script, right? <laughs> he didn't, you know, he was, he, yeah, it's not a, a, an action movie. This is like a... He didn't really understand what I was trying to do, so I realized early on I was like, "All these people, it's all bullshit." So, you, so did you? So, in, I just want to get the five years straight. So, it, in the fifth year, was it one dude? No. Or two so guys? I'm starting to like. Now I'm starting to like. So what we decided to do was we decided to put together like a little event and invite all the people we know who have a little bit of money. So we put together like um, we brought all the actors that we casted. We 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 put up like the posters and we did like a whole like thing, and, and we gave them food and drinks and it was like kind of like a meet and greet and everyone's talking, uh, and a bunch of like these rich people showed up and they started talking and we started talking to them and then one guy stepped up and said all right I'll give you fifty grand for you know my the first fifty grand, and we were all like okay this is good you know it's the first and someone grand. else said I got fifty I got fifty and then Who's once the, other the 50? fifty came in this other guy <laughs> said you know what I'll do this and then. I stepped up and said, you know what? I'm going to put a little bit of my own money in. And then the director's mom said, well, if you're going to put your own money in, I'll put. And yeah. together, collectively, we were able to raise half the money. In and that then room. that guy on the phone yeah. put the gave other the other half. This is a good story. Yeah. Remember to get your people together. You never know which get one of them. Get your people, your artwork. Get your artwork. <laughs> Make sure you got a script ready. Make sure you got a script yeah. ready. Make sure you know that you got a lawyer to yeah, go close those yeah. deals the next day. But uh, but that's that's cool. That's an, that's awesome. And uh, Jesse Eisenberg's big. It's kind of cool that you had the cast willing uh, to show up at a oh, thing. Jesse, when I met Jesse, I was uh, I had two lines on a movie called The Education of Charlie Banks. I played the the arresting officer, and I was on set with him. That's why I met him. And I said to him, "Hey, man, during lunch." Hey, I'm working on this script about this Hasidic Jew smuggling XC. I'd love to send it to you. And he's like, yeah, sure, no problem. You know, just like two actors. I have a really small role. He's the star of the movie. But he was really sweet and he said, yeah, send it to me. When the script was done, I sent it to him. He called me two hours later and was like, uh, where are you? <laughs> By the way, you have to understand, I don't know him. I just met him on set. And he goes, I, I, I want to talk to you like right now. I was like, okay, is everything okay? He's like, yeah, I just read your script. I want to talk to you right now. So I tell him, okay, meet me on 23rd and 2nd. There's a diner next to my apartment at the time. And he shows up and he says, I want to do this movie. This is the best script I've ever read in my life. I've been waiting my whole life oh, for this cool. role. That's wow. cool. That's cool. And I said, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, then I thought maybe we can make the movie, but no one cared that Jesse's starring in it. Right. You know, it's not like I, it's not like you're saying I can get Tom Cruise and then every studio is going to step in and give you money. He was just like a small, independent kind of like, yeah. you know, actor who had a couple of movies in, you know, Sundance and stuff like that. But he got, you know, through him, we were able to push it with a with a lead, you know, that people kind of heard of. Yeah. Hey, we, you want to work with Jesse Eisenberg? We didn't get sure. the money because of it. No, we did of course not. not. But we were able to cast Ari Griner, who was like, oh, I'm a fan of Jesse's and, you know, people like that. Um, I got Q-Tip as a friend of mine to do it. Um, but right after he did Holy Rollers, he was nominated the next movie for an Oscar. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, for Which the social network. Bit. Helps a little bit. Well, I told the distributor who bought the movie, wait, because I'm hearing he's Smart. so great. He might get nominated. Wait till he gets nominated, and then you can go out with it. He's like, 
I owe money to the bank. I got to put this movie out. Uh, so he put the movie out a couple months before the social network came out. Uh, so we make Holy Rollers. Now, you have to understand, I don't stop doing my club stuff while this is happening. So I get a phone call. I'm playing basketball. And they call me and go, oh, my God, we just got into Sundance. And I went, okay. With, I, I don't even with know. Holy Rollers. With, with Holy, Holy Rollers. Rollers. Got it. You have to say, this is my first movie. I, you know, I did everything. I found the story. I raised the money. I hired everyone. But I'm still not aware of, how, is it a big deal to get in Sundance? I used to go to Sundance just to party. <laughs> so I was like, that's great. He's like, oh my God, it's the biggest, greatest thing that could ever happen to a filmmaker. Oh my God, congratulations. So now I'm all excited. And we all go to Sundance. And everyone is at Sundance, right? And they're all like, congratulations, this is great. I go. Uh, Harvey's at Sunday. Harvey's there. Flipping tables. Flipping tables, <laughs> and he comes to the premiere. Oh, does he? That's yeah, awesome. and loves the movie and gives me the biggest compliment, right? But it was the worst time, 2010. You know, the market just crashed in 2008, so there's not big. No one has sales, money, yeah. Really, but we make a sale, right? And first independent, Gary Rubin buys the movie. Now, I'm like, wow, I made a movie. It got into Sundance. I sold it. It's getting a theatrical distribution. I'm acting in it. I produced it. This is going to open every door, right? My director wins Breakthrough Director of the Year in the DeVille Film Festival, the Gotham Awards, all these. You know, I'm like, this is great, right? And that was the biggest lesson of my life. I learned to any filmmaker that's listening to this, this mm. is literally what changed my life. I realized no one cares. People just go, oh, that was a great little movie. Okay. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, now what? Now what? Nothing. Now what do you got? It's not like they're going, yo, Dan, listen, I need you to star in this movie for me. Nothing. Silent. Whoa. And you go, w w wait a minute, hold on a second. I didn't just make a little movie that didn't, you know, no one saw and a bunch of my friends showed up and we had a great time. We had a beer after. I made a movie that is written, I was on the cover of the, Us uh, um, USA Today. On the cover of USA Today. Independent films is like, you know, I was like, what the hell's going on? Right? I mean, this is ridiculous. But I learned a big lesson. And the lesson was you need to make money. Mm. Without making money, no one pays attention. Unless you make a groundbreaking movie that, you know, changes the way people, you know, Martin Scorsese, Mean Street. No one has ever seen anything like that. So it was groundbreaking. It was different. It was shot different. It was acted different. But if you're just making it, so I was like, oh my God, this is the greatest lesson ever. Yeah. And that brings me to where I am today. And today it's more about, you know, it, it, it's a different approach. Well, uh, let me tell you that before you move on, um, congratulations on getting the first one done and getting into Sundance. Uh, it is a big deal and it does make a big difference. And you're in a very uh, unique and small club. Not everyone gets a film into Sundance. It's a very difficult thing to do. And it's uh, definitely based on merit. Your film was good, and it got into Sundance and selected by a very, very great group of people. I say that because I had a film in Sundance uh, as well in 95. Strangers <laughs> with Candy? Strangers with Candy, yeah. But, um, but it is a big deal. Um, I, luckily, when I did Strangers with Candy... I, you know, I'm, a, I'm mostly a money raiser, which is my favorite thing to do in, as a producer. God bless you. Yeah. <laughs> it's my but, least favorite thing but to do. I, but when I did Strangers and I, we went to Sundance and we had that big, you know, the big deal and everyone showed up and you're going to dinner and the, there's a party for your movie and you sell to Warner Brothers. All of, all very fun. Uh, I was thinking about 
using it to raise money for my next thing, which I did, which is the film I did with Ariel, which was a $4 million movie with Marissa Tomei. But, uh, but I, that's what I used it for. And, you know, if you're listening, if you do get into Sundance, start thinking about the different ways to take advantage of that. It's not just moving into you getting hired on your next thing. It could potentially be like, hey, if you want to be part of a Sundance kid, you know, let's raise some money for my next thing, right? And then, because th- that's the best thing to do. If you don't take advantage of it at that point, once it comes out and people realize that it's going to sit on the shelf for a while or it doesn't do that well, then the, the limelight's done. But um, but yeah, congratulations. I mean, that's a huge that's Thank a huge you. deal, and, uh, and and not a lot of people do it. When did you start directing? Uh, I mean, I started directing by just I just couldn't find the right director for this particular movie that I've always wanted to make. And then I started thinking to myself, wow, I'm interviewing all these guys and no one gets it. So I get it. I see it. Can I even like think about doing this? It's going to be crazy, right? Yeah. But the more I like started thinking about it, I was like, you got to where you are in your life by taking risks. If you really are prepared and really set yourself up, you can do this. So I studied and I learned and I read about it a little bit and I realized, I can do it, and uh, and I went. I made the first retake Brooklyn. Um, I directed it, acted in it. And it was, it's crazy, but uh, that's how I got into it. Just because I felt like no one else can tell the story the way I see it. How did you feel directing, writing, acting? Directing, I love directing. You I did. didn't realize I was gonna love it. I, I I love it. It's it's great. It's acting just comes really natural to me. Are you the same guy when you're acting? I am. I you am. are? So when the camera turns off, you're pretty much the same character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on this particular, uh, I mean, we'll get to the Irishman, but on that set, yeah. But what I'm saying is, look, there's two different types of acting. There's like, there's like what I, what I did in um, a stand-up guy and what I do in the Irishman. It's two different things. What I did in a stand-up guy, I can do, you know, in my sleep. Right. Um, because I didn't really create a character character. I just kind of like gave myself a little bit of a slang, mm-hmm. like more of my Brooklyn slang and my ma- my body mannerism. But everything else was just me. Yeah. Kind of. It wasn't like a far stretch. Um, in The Irishman, it's like really acting. Right. And it's like, you know, a gun in your face, you know, getting beat up by Robert De Niro, that whole, you know, energy. And, 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 and uh, that's really like it takes a lot of effort and time to really uh, – figure out how you want to do it and then also be uh, open to, to what they're throwing at you because right. a lot of it was improvised and, uh, and out of nowhere. And it's just like, you just got to react. I heard a story about a scene where uh, uh, De Niro gets you in a headlock. Yeah. Can you tell me what happened? So I get this, I get the set right on my first day on the Irishman and I'm in my trailer and I'm like this, Oh my God, what am I doing? Oh my God. I'm just thinking to myself, this is insane. Right, so I I, you know, I don't know. Thinking, I'm reading my lines. I'm reading my lines. All of a sudden, the knock comes. Right, I'm like, yeah, Danny, they're ready for you. And when you hear that, everything that you've ever done in your life, for me, I mean, some actors, for me, it was the greatest. It's that moment where you go, oh my god. I mean, everything I've done is great. I've worked with some incredible actors. Um, you know, I was I, I played Michael Shannon's best friend in The Iceman. I did Holy Rolls with Jesse Eisenberg. I, you know, Peter Sarsberg and I did, you know, um, an experiment. I've done some great scenes, some great actors, you know, Oscar-nominated actors, everything. But I'm about to go shoot my first day 
and Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro is my first scene, right? Damn. I'm walking. <laughs> it's insane, right? I'm walking with the PA, and I'm like looking down. And when I finally put my head up, there's Marty right there with Bob. Hey, Danny, how you doing? What's going on? <laughs> you know, you know Bob, right? I'm like, oh, hi, Did Bob. Did you know Bob? Oh, I know Bob, but oh, yeah. I didn't want to say I know Bob because I, I just right, wanted right, to keep course. it professionally. He didn't recognize me, which is fine. Uh, I've met him a bunch of times. I'm like, hey, Bob, how are you? Nice to see you. And Marty just got into it. He's like, look, uh, this is what's going on. You are Louis. You owe a lot of money to people. You're like a deadbeat. You know, you're that guy in the neighborhood. And Bob, he's Frank. He's got a gun. You don't want to fuck with him. Uh, all right, you guys uh, figure it out. And he leaves. <laughs> you guys figure it out. Right. <laughs> Do some acting, right? And I mean, I'm standing there with Bob, and he's like, well, yeah, okay. Uh, right, let's run it, right? So he, he didn't know what the name of the character was because it was described as the uh, deadbeat. So we had to remind him. So he's like, I'm going to call. Right, I'm going to get out. I'm going to scream. Louie. So again, that's the first thing that's not in the script, right? I come around the corner. He gets out of the car. Louie, come here. He shows me a gun. He's like, Skinny wants to see you get in the car. So now all of that is happening. As this is happening, you know, on take two and three, he starts, you know, kicks me in one scene. He's like, <laughs> The fuck in the car and go fuck about you or your mother. You know, it's all. So I'm sitting there going, wow, this is the most incredible thing in the world, right? The greatest actor, in my opinion, feeling any pain. of all time is great, right? We do about 10, 15 takes. Then we do different angles and we cut for lunch. I'm like, wow, that was great. I see Bobby Cannavale on set and, oh, uh, and, at lunch and I know him. I, I and I'm like, wow, that took, you know, five hours. He's like, oh, yeah, it's fun. You run with it. The next one's going to take longer, right? <laughs> the next scene is me, Bob, and Bobby Cannavale. Now, this is when he goes to get me, and now I owe money to Skinny, who is Bobby Cannavale. Now it's a whole big scene, right? It's like a five-minute scene where I'm, he's like, where's my money? I'm like, I swear to God, I was going to get you your money and my this and that. And out of Nowhere. De Niro punches me in my stomach <laughs> and grabs me, puts me in a headlock. Where's our money? Where's our fucking money? I'm like, what? I'm sorry. I'll get you money. Cut. You okay? So I'm like, yeah, I'm fine, fine. After like the eighth take, he keeps going, Dan, you okay? I go, Bob. I waited 40 years to get beat up by you in a movie. <laughs> Do whatever the hell you want. This is great. So that went off great. Yeah. I mean, it all came down to that, right? It was the greatest experience of my life. It was, it was, it really showed me that all the hard work of learning um, to just get to this point, to be able to actually react to the greatest actor of all time with the greatest director of all time. It just made, it just kind of like what Tudy said, it made me feel good about, you know, and gave me the confidence to say, you know what, I'm on the right track. I That's awesome. Yeah. That's very cool, man. Yeah. That sounds like an amazing experience. And obviously, well, you you know a lot of actors through through the work that you've done through the years. Throughout New York and nightlife, I met a lot of, yeah, of course. And, um, and I noticed that in your movie, in, I think in your latest movie, which I saw the trailer to, um, you use some of the same people that you've used in the past. Yes, I Is like there, doing that. Yeah, why do you do that? It's a comfort thing, you know. It's a, uh, it's um. Plus, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an, I'm an independent filmmaker from New York. I wish someone put me in a movie. You know what I mean? I would love to get a phone call from someone like, "Hey, buddy, listen, just come on down. I'm doing this thing. Why don't you come down? 
do a week you know on it it's a great feeling just to, to be a part of a community people help each other out um and every time I call they 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 they're appreciative of this and then they work their butt off so yeah. they give me something great um and you know it, but I would only do it if they're right for the role I'm not gonna cast someone who's not right for the role in in mob town I, I couldn't think of anyone else to play Vito Genovese but Robert Davi Right. I mean, he's the greatest Vito Genovese of all time. Looks like he gave you a great performance. He too. gave me an incredible performance. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, I, I also, it's a comfort thing. I, I it's, It becomes kind of like a family. I like to use everyone always uh, because you know, we're, even though we're being very creative and we're making different kind of movies, we're all on the same page and we kind of like enjoy each other's. Danny gave me the first night I got there because you know I, I was on the fence about going. Like, I was like, "Ah, should I do it? Should I do it? You know, it's a big step." You're on the fence about taking he, he a job cast, where you're acting in a movie. I know, but I was I was nervous because everything I had done before that had been you know Good Life, which is something I made and all this stuff, but it wasn't big. Like this was the first real film, real set that I ever was on. So the first day I get out there, Danny invites me to dinner, and he just was the coolest guy. He told me, you know, you. I want you to see what it's like. And if you like it, then go through with it. If you want to go home and be with your kids, then go home and be with your kids. But you're, you at least have got to this point. You've tried. Because I'd read an article about Danny. I'm going to rewind a bit. Yeah. In the Hollywood Reporter about two, no, when did the stand-up guy come out? Three, four, three. Three or four ago. years ago. Three years ago. And it was so inspiring because it was about Danny. It was about a club promoter who got into acting, wanted to do it, and just went and did it. Like, they didn't make up any excuses. And then I saw a, a series called uh, The Ropes that was based on Vin Diesel's life as a bouncer, and he was in it, and I recognized him. And so, but it w- there was no excuses in this story. It was like, you know, he came from Israel as a kid, got into clubs, made money, said, okay, now I'm going to start doing this, and nothing held him back, right? So uh, here at Extra one day, we were going to have him and Bob Saget on to talk about a stand-up guy, but mostly Bob Saget to talk about Fuller House. I was so excited to see this guy <laughs> because I just read the article and he was an inspiration of like to all the filmmakers out there, people who want to do it. He just said, screw it. I'm going to go and do it. And and he did. And so cut to New York sitting there with him at this restaurant and he, he said, he comes sit next to me. So we're sitting there talking. He says, look, man, you're either going to love it, which is great. And you're going to want to do it. Or you're going to go home and be with your kids. And that's fine too. But at least you're giving it a shot. I said to you, I said, I said, you've wanted this the whole your whole life. Yeah. You have the wife and kids at home. You already know that. Try this. If you like it, then it becomes something that you want to pursue because you already know what the other life is like. And if you don't like it, you know, and you said, hey, I gave it a shot. I had a great time. This is something I can show my kids one day. And you move on with your life. Yeah. I, it's what I did. If I made my first movie and the experience was like, okay, that was pretty cool, whatever. Now I want to, you know, ride a bicycle around the country. You know, it, it, it all comes down... At the end of the day, honestly, I don't see any movies. I don't care if it's a $300 million movie or $10,000 movie. When you get to set, if you're not loving being on set, you don't love the energy that yeah. you get, then don't do it. It doesn't make any sense because yeah. it's hard. It's, it's, it's challenging. Yeah. Not a lot of people get to succeed. Not a lot of people get to see your movies. Yeah. But you do it for the right reasons. And, you know, hopefully it, you will get it, it acknowledged, you know, and... and, and it can work out. So I, for me, it was a no-brainer. And I got to say this, and I said it before, but I'll say it on your show. Tootie was great. 
he was so natural I said to him I said Tootie I'm gonna let you improvise and, and just go with the flow because he did a scene with me yeah um, and I was like let's just play with it and just because I had to get him um, a, a speaking role which changed the whole format you know then you gotta speak to the you know you know how it is as a producer yeah, yeah. you gotta speak to the line producer and to the producer they gotta talk to SAG it becomes a whole thing Taft Hartley he Taft, he Taft Hartley I Taft him That's but I said you know I said you know I really like Judy and I'll do it for him so I, I did it right so now it's this big opportunity. And I still didn't know if he was just going to go, hey, you know. But he was so natural. He, like, flowed with it. He said he gave some great lines, great, you know, a face um, impressions. Oh, I mean, he did everything right. And afterwards, I was like, yo, buddy, you were fucking great. You got to. You really were. Thank you were you, great. Brother. I appreciate it. And, uh, and, and it comes off great in the movie. Yeah. It well, did. I I, in the movie, And I was by like... the way, I give him 35 seconds of FaceTime. <laughs> Just on his face. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Nominated. Yeah. Yes, 35. By the way, some people get three seconds of, I'm talking about just on his face, but 35 seconds straight while he's looking for Anastasia. You know, he goes to kill Anastasia. Yeah. Oh, dude, it was amazing. Like I said, it, it gave me the confidence in like Danny pulling me aside, not just at dinner. And then, then, you know, when I went to improvise the scene, he told me all that. And and I was like, you know, Danny, I don't, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't know. He's like, listen, I'm gonna help you out. I'm gonna taft tartly you. Somebody did it for me. I'm not gonna say names. You know, you can only do, do that twice. A, you can only do that twice in a movie as a producer. You yeah. can't, you can't be taft hartling people all two over the people, place. Two people, two in a movie. It gets very movie. dangerous yeah. to do well, that. Well, Mark Wahlberg yeah. did it for me. Yeah. I was having lunch with him uh, at uh, at Cafe Med, which now he owns as Wahlburgers, and uh, he was just a good buddy of mine. And I said. No, on Sunset of, Plaza, is that where it's yeah, right Okay, Plaza, yeah. That's a good place. I said, hey, man, I think I'm getting, I'm going to go back into acting. He's like, wait, you used to act? I was like, yeah, as a kid, I'm going to get into it. He's like, I'm shooting a pilot for HBO. <laughs> Let me call Doug. And the next thing I know, I'm on set. And he's like, and Doug's like, I right, just say these three lines and we'll get you in. And he goes, I got my set card. I'll never forget it. You, you got to So everyone has to give everyone. Yeah, I believe in that. Out. And I think, it, especially, Phil, you know, Independent filmmakers, we all got to look out for each other. I mean, yeah. it's a crazy, crazy world. Uh, you know, it's like well, things yeah. things are changing. I mean, let's have, that, that's awesome. By the way, congratulations. Thank Getting you. your side cards not easy, yeah. not an easy thing, right? Thank you, always, Danny. I appreciate you're it. You're welcome. They're always talking about the catch twenty two in this business, and yeah. I guess you just need good friends. Yeah. Look, doing independent film isn't always an easy thing. You know, in fact, it's hard most of the time. You go in with an expectation of doing a certain movie a certain way. Along the way, everything changes on you, uh, and you end up with whatever product you do. I honestly think you have to do something that's different, right? Yeah. Th- this movie, Mob Town, that we made, that Tootie's in, is about a subject that uh, there's never been a movie about. Which is uh, crazy, because it's such yeah. a huge thing. Let's, can the, you say uh, what it's, it's about? The it's the Appalachian meeting that took place in 1957, upstate New York, in a little town called Appalachian. A hundred of the biggest... Uh, uh, mobsters in the world met in one particular home. J. Edgar Hoover, the head of the FBI, would not acknowledge organized crime. His whole thing was he was pushing towards you know communism and all that stuff because he was hiding the fact that there's so much corruption going on in the in, in the country, and he couldn't after that meeting no longer not acknowledge it. He had to come out and publicly admit that there is organized crime. So it really changed the face of the way the FBI dealt with organized 
uh, crime. And, you know, the RICO Act started because of it. And that was the way how they got everyone in the 80s. Giuliani used yeah. the RICO Act to get, you know, it started with Gotti and everyone else. So it's a very important movie. Obviously, and analyze this, the first three mu- minutes of the movie is all about the, the Appalachian meetings. Like, yeah, we went up to upstate, blah, blah, blah. So, but people thought I was crazy. They're like, wait, wait, you're going to make a period piece? Yeah. 1957 for how much? It's impossible. And there's nothing impossible. It looks amazing, yeah. by the way. No, it was, was it difficult to do a period piece? Yes, but here's what... <laughs> I'll, yes. tell you, I'll tell you what I did. And, and this is a good lesson. I interviewed a bunch of um, set designers and some really experienced ones. And they all were like, and they were all like, well, you know, Danny, it's very difficult. You know, 57, I got to do it. And then I met this one kid who's never done a movie before. And he said, I can do it. <laughs> and I go, well, what makes you think you can do it? Because I've never wanted something more than I want this. If I have to do it, I'll do it. If I have to build it myself, I will build your set myself. And I said, you're hired. Right. Because that's who I am. I don't like the people like, well, you know, technically, well, we can't really get into it. <laughs> I don't like that. Yeah. I like, look, here's the deal. We have to make it work. How do we do it? Now we have to get creative. You have to understand. And on my next movie that I'm about to go shoot in New York, that Tootie's in again. All right. I'm giving him another role. <laughs> but on this movie... My line producers are driving me nuts. You can't use four cameras. We don't have the money to use four cameras for this two days in West Ford Street. So I said, okay. I went back and sat with my DP and I started thinking, how do we get what we want without using four cameras and four operators? Because it's going to cost us like 60 grand. And then I thought about it. I'm going to mount little cameras on the backboard and I'm just going to use that for cutting purposes and what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna get a drone that day who's gonna fly around and is gonna and what i I even like created in my head how i'm gonna cut the basketball sequences where i saved myself sixty thousand dollars because the studios would just put a camera here a camera here and they bring operators and extras but you can do it if it it all it all comes how hard you're willing to work and and how much you're willing to sacrifice yourself and buddy when i went to go direct my first movie i had every shot so as studio on set, everything is so detailed. By the yeah. time I get the set, it's literally just moving like this because I knew that I only have two, three takes right. and a small movie, and then and then I have to move because the worst thing you want to do is not be able to make your day because yeah. then a scene is is not done and then you can't cut it right. And, so we 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 two months of pre production in the office every day. Me and the me and the DP. All right, let's shoot it this way. You know what? It saves us more time if you do the dolly here. And I, I want to get at least one wide so I can get, you know, yeah. cut into. You just, just and then when you any, get there, it's kind of like a puzzle. You just kind of, yeah. you know, because you just let the actors go, all right, Tootie, and action, go. And he just, and everything just kind of like falls into place. Did anything uh, happen on the fly? Was there anything where you were well, like, oh, you know what? Let me push in on this a little well, bit. Well, let me, yeah. So we shot the, the barbershop scene. It, we, they built a barbershop inside the studio, right? Uh-huh. And so we shot the scene. And we were supposed to go into town to shoot the car scene, and we were running out of time. So Danny said, "No, we're going to shoot it right here." So we wheeled in these brick walls in the parking lot. We oh, pulled nice. up the cars, and the extras walked by. And you would have never, you would have thought we were in like downtown Manhattan. Oh my god! And, <sighs> and it was just a close up on on me and, and and my brother in this old car, but with people walking by and a brick wall behind yeah. us. And 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 then it cuts to it cuts it cuts to feet, but it was. 
like that. It's called a cheat. Yeah, and it, and it I, I had to think outside the box. I, I was like, we can't go to the next location. We got to shoot this here on the studio lot. And I said, bring out bricks, put him in yeah. front, in back of the car. Yeah. Right? Brilliant. Brilliant. Have our extras just walk back and forth as if they're in a, as if they're in a, on a sidewalk. Yeah. Right? And I'm just going to go in close on them. And then I'm going to cut to, you know, feet walking, which is a shot in a different thing. And back to them and back to the feet. So you would think that it's, you know, yeah. it's all, and it worked out. It really yeah. worked out perfect. So you have, so, so Danny, you have relationships with actors that you, that you formed friendships with. You have um, relationships to money um, through the work that you've done. Um, and through Sundance and the other work you did, you've created your relationships with distributors, right? Well, the distributors thing okay. is, is, Every time you make a movie, you just don't know who you're gonna sell it to. You so know? you go in, you go indie, you go true indie, you go make the movie, and then you figure out who's. Yeah, going. I don't, I, yeah, I don't want to sell it and then hear that I could have gotten, you know, two million dollars. I would, I would kill myself. So I take the risk. But you know, if you want to talk about how I actually get and make the movie, I can explain to you because I'm only taking a thirty-five percent equity risk on every movie. You personally? No, the my production. Oh, company. your production company's only. We leverage the whole thing. So you so you can guarantee someone sixty five percent back on their dough or sixty five percent of the budget back. Yes, guaranteed. Yes. How do you do that? First of all, I shoot in a uh, tax incentive states. Mm. Um, upstate New York gives forty percent right now. All our independent filmmakers, uh, and it's great. And they have great studios out out there and a great crew, uh, a lot of great people there. Uh, Newburgh. Um, so I, I, I only shoot in tax incentives. Sorry. You spend a million bucks there in upstate New York. You get 40, you get $400,000 below the line below the, okay. So you probably like two fifty something like that. 300 because uh, you know, what you spend on, on talent is, you know, it's not considered because you're not spending it in their town. Right. So you get 40% back. And then you, by the way, sometimes I even sell, I think I'm going to sell this time my tax incentive. Uh, at, at 85, 89 cents on the dollar, and they write you a check within a couple months instead of waiting 18 months. So I oh, tell my investor, look, you wait 18 months and we get back 320,000, or we can just pick up 290 now. We can roll it out to the next movie. We don't have to go into pocket. And most of the time, it's like, let's do it. So I sell that. Then I, before I cast, I speak to my foreign sales guy who I love, uh, Blyberg Entertainment. Danny Dimberg and Edward Blyberg and Nick. And I, uh, and I say, look, guys, this is the movie. It's a basketball uh, drama, uh, 90s. I'm going to go and make this. Who makes sense? And they come back with numbers. They're like, you know, David Arquette's great. We can get so-and-so on him. Tootie's uh, amazing. We can get so-and-so on him. You know, there's actually like a list of, of figuring out what you get. So I kind of cast and get an idea from them within 10% of what they think once I'm cast um, and they go, I can get you 800,000. Do they, um, do they, uh, do you pre-sell or do you just do they? I mean, sometimes I, I've never really pre-sold um, before I made the movie, but I pre-sold before the movie was finished right. to be seen. So they you know, could like, start selling. They could start, uh, so if, you know, if, if, if can is coming up, they, They'll go to the marketplace and start selling it on the post and show a trailer and a poster. And a Got it. So just, I just want to be very clear about what you're saying because this is really yeah. actually great. This is really we haven't covered this at all no. in all the uh -huh. episodes. So 
what Danny's saying is that he, he's got his movie. He takes his, I'm going to use a million dollars as an example. It could be 10 million. It could be whatever, but a million dollars, you go to uh, an incentive state, you can get anywhere from 20 to 40%. So if you're spending a million dollars and below the line, you get about $300,000 back, which means that that can go back to your investor. So if you put in a million bucks, he gets 300,000 back just for you doing it. I mean, some investors will say, put it in the movie, then you make it for one three, but not everyone does. It's a really good incentive to give back. Now, the other thing is if you have a distributor that you can work with, yeah. that you like, that you trust, that's a really good thing to do. Find out if the actor you've got in your movie is going to sell in France, sell in Italy, sell, sell wherever, or who Latin sells. America, or who sells, or who they can sell. I'm sorry, yeah. who they can sell. So if they can sell two of your actors and their leads, and they can get you another 30%, now that's 60%, this is really smart, 60% of the money that your investor just put in, he's almost guaranteed back, and then you guys are gambling with the rest of it. If well, you make not a great really, movie, because you're going to get a domestic deal. Somewhere. I mean, it's somewhere. Someone's yeah. going to pick it up. And, you know, any any little movie will go for 25 easy, grand. But, you're making it but sound too the easy. the MG, uh, it's not easy. But you're making it sound super easy, <laughs> you man. A, you make a pretty good movie, you'll get 100,000 MG, right? I just got excited. I want to go what's make an another MG? movie right what's, now. What's it's MG? a minimum it's guarantee. A, oh, okay. Down payment. Like yeah, you yeah. Did your... Well, it's a minimum guarantee. I mean... You did get excited right now. I saw. I am a little 30. excited because because I because uh, this formula but this works. Goes back, that formula is very exciting. But this yeah. goes back to what I said about holy rolls and how I learned a big lesson. I said to myself, "Wow, you do all this and no one is excited. You know what people are excited about? Is you make the money. Yeah, and you get to pay the actors, and the actors are like, wow, you just paid me a hundred grand. I'm gonna go do another movie with you. You know." <laughs> People get excited about yeah. it, and that changes the perspective. People, you know, people go, you know, it's so hard to make money in independent films. It's almost impossible. Not the way you're talking about it. You, you, can, you can get yourself a nice distributor, be conscious about the cast that you're putting in. I'm not, I'm not talking about the whole thing. I'm talking about one or two characters that mean something, that are in 50-plus percent of the movie. Then you go to your uh, foreign distributor and you figure out how to do that. Now, all of this makes a lot more sense if you've got someone who's willing to put up the money. But I'm telling you, the conversation is powerful when you can say, look, you're going to put up two million bucks. I'm going to make sure you get back 60 at the very least. We'll figure out the rest together and let's go to the highest bidder. Let's really gamble. If you're not a gambler, if your investor's not a gambler, then it's going to be complicated. Then you're going to have someone waiting. Don't invest in movies. If yeah. you're not, you know, if you're not it's a vanity a investment. You're not going to make money in the movie business unless you're dealing with the biggest, you know, Movie stars in the unless world. Unless you kill it like Mob Town, is that what it's called? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, unless you kill it like Mob Town. <laughs> right. uh, Period look, piece. Every once in a while, something's going to jump at you and it's going to do great. But the reality is that most of them just do okay, maybe break even, maybe lose a little bit of money. Uh, but you own it. You know, another big part of my, of my pitch to investors is that, you know, it's tax incentive. We only use 30, 35% of equity. Plus... At the end of the day, we own the movie. Ten years later, it's our movie. And in the library, you can make money on it every day. Right. I own nine movies outright, me and my partners in the production company. We're getting all the rights back. Holy Rolls will be back this year. It'll be our first one back. Right. But and then what you, you just mean, have... just to be clear, what you mean is you license those movies to be distributed, and they're usually 10-year 15 year, year yeah. deals, and I now like they're coming back, year. and they're going to be owned 100% so now, by you. So now it's mine, right? Then you hire a young lady to sit on the phone and she starts selling your movie around the world. Some guy in Germany is opening a new TV station. He needs content. $3,000 you can have. You send him a link. 
$3,000 a year. Then, you know, start selling that all around the world. That library is worth a lot of money. If you own your own movies, your library could be like um, 401k, man. In 20 years, yeah. they could still be selling. You could still be making money off of yeah, the films yeah. you made. So that's another good pitch for the people getting involved with it. You are doing what everyone dreams about doing, which is following your dreams, making movies, working with your friends, um, getting people their money back, which is important. Yeah. I and, try. Yeah. Well, we, I think <laughs> that part I'm trying. We as all hard do. As I can. We all do. Um, and, but you know, the amount of effort it takes to make an independent film, you're not making what you deserve. You're not making no. what, uh, the amount of time you're putting into so, it. So that brings us to the next subject is, can you make a living from it? Can you? Uh, not really. You know, you, you make an okay. I mean, until you get a big break, uh, you're just, you know, an independent filmmaker who's living a nice, right. fun life, doing what you love. The windfall. Windfall. Like I said in the podcast before, if I could just provide for my family and do this, I'm happy. That's all that I want to do. You know, write, act, produce, direct maybe. Um, if I could just provide... That's it. That's all I need. I don't, and I don't need a lot. I'm surviving on not very much already. So, if you, so just a little, little, little bit more. Right up until you get there, and then you'll be bitching like the rest of them. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, you will. You'll be like, oh, I've been Windfalls. doing this for a while, just making pants no, meet. No, because I love it. It's like, you know, like I love, even the other day when we were doing, when I was doing the movie, Dave was there. I was, dude, I did wardrobe. I did props. I did, uh, you know, talent wrangling. I did, I did everything coordinating. That's another thing I was thinking about. Like Weiser, Weiser laughed at the post that I, that I had with me and Lilo where I'm looking and he said, he said something like the fa- look on your face is because you're worrying about catering. <laughs> you got to buy these guys lunch. It's true. And I was like, well, you know what? You're probably right. I was. <laughs> when I saw the picture of Lilo, I was very impressed with your ability to put a, put uh, the right clothes on a character. I think that comes from writing though, because when I was writing that character, I knew that guy, like that guy, I, I mean, I, I, I know guys like that's that. That's vision, guys- though. You got to make that deal, Danny. When you act in a movie, you keep your wardrobe. <laughs> By the way, yeah, I could have. Listen, it's a, it's, a, it's a crazy world that, that, you know, going and making these films, but I, I, I love it. And, and I'm about to go make another one, and uh, uh, it, it's, it's a distraction from everything else because yeah. you're working 16, 17 hours every day. It's crazy. And you literally are so tired that you get to your room and you pass out and you wake up and it's all over again. And when you're in it, you're like, I can't believe I have 21 more days. I know, right? But when it's over, you miss it yeah. so much. I can't explain it. They call that the post-production blues, by the way. Once you well, once you leave a, a set and you go into post-production, it's the, you're, you're in the blues. You're, you don't get out of bed for three days. Let me tell you it. something, too, about Danny. We were shooting, and it was, it was uh, winter, or no, I'm sorry, summertime in upstate. And we were shooting at this old farmhouse, and there was tons of bugs, and we, it was a long day. And uh, Danny was saying, because he was directing, he was he was acting, and he was telling me, like, this is the worst thing I've ever, I'm never going to do this again. I was like, dude, you're doing an amazing job. Because he would literally go from behind the camera doing it to, to, like, jumping in front of it. Like, and he was he was so cool. He wasn't, he wasn't like a hard ass. Like, no, let's push through. Come on, don't be a dick. Not like, like Davi? <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> he, that's what he was telling me. This is the hardest thing. I've, I sat next to him. We were talking. He was like, I'll never do this again. It's very hard. It's cut it's, to he's doing it again. And the next one's about a basketball player and his passion is basketball. Yeah, it's my two favorite things, basketball and movies. So it's So it's the question is, are you gonna play the lead in this? 
and directed. <laughs> no. What are you doing? Are you just directing? Yeah, I'm. I'm probably gonna play a small role of Peter Vesey, uh, in it. Uh, no, I mean the ki- It's a 26 year old kid. Yeah, yeah. An Irish kid from Brooklyn. I, I I'm a 45 year old man <laughs> with a tan. I, I can't. You know, I can't go and play him. Well, we're excited to see uh, to see what you do next. Thank um, you. I think uh, the films that you've done are awesome. You have great people in them. They're very, very uh, fun and interesting and uh, satisfying. One takeaway I want to leave is when you're thinking about doing independent film, you have this idea that it may not happen. You may not be able to do it. It's not going to work, whatever it is. Inevitably, you end up at Sundance with a movie you did and someone buys it and things happen. I think one of the best pieces of advice I got was prepare for success. If you're doing a movie, expect it to be sold. Because when, it, when you're at Sundance, you should really be talking about what you're doing next. And like a good album and a good song, people are going to expect what you just did or at least somewhere around it. So yeah. don't go in with a drama and then start pitching a comedy to somebody who just saw your movie, right? If you have heat, stay with the heat. Stay with what you got. Pitch something in the area. And, you know, later on you can get more creative, do something different. But I definitely think people should prepare for success. This business is has no conscience it doesn't matter to it if you're thinking i don't i'm not going to do well you do a good movie you get ready to to set up your future and keep making deals i was very lucky i came out of sundance i made two movies out of sundance with investors that wanted a piece of that sundance feel right and uh, i took advantage of it I want to thank Danny. Danny, thank you for being here. You are very welcome, sir. It was my pleasure. To the call, I'm here. Thank you, buddy. You guys are good buddies. Obviously, obviously, uh, you guys are good friends, and uh, you're here because of Tootie, so we appreciate that. And we look forward to what you're both doing, and we look forward to the film that you're going to be in. Yeah, Mob Town. Larry Gallup. December 13th. Oh, wow. December December 13th. 13th. Friday 13th comes out. Well, congratulations. Good luck. Films. Well, that's a good person to be in business with. So congratulations. Thank you for being on uh, Let's Get Into It, and we'll talk to you next time. All right. Uh, I tried to stay away from all the stuff you talked about with Mario because you got into really...